And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on The Sustainability Story. I'm Matt Orsog from CFA Institute, and our guest today is Barbara Davidson, Head of Accounting, Audit and Disclosure at Carbon Tracker. Hey, Barbara, good to talk to you. Hi, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. We first began talking about possibly doing this podcast last year when you guys came out with a report on the current state of carbon and climate accounting. And so that's one of the things we want to jump off with. But before that, you know, how did you, let's hear a little bit about your story. You know, how did you get to where, where you are and the unfortunate uh, circumstance of talking to me today? <laughs> and what is Carbon, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Carbon Tracker, what is Carbon Tracker and what do you guys do there? Sure. So I do have an accounting degree for my sins. I started uh, with Deloitte many, many years ago in the audit function. I, I've worked in several countries. So I started at Deloitte in the U.S., and I also worked for Deloitte in France. And then I actually moved over to a global capital, global capital markets group for PwC in Hong Kong. So I did a lot with audits to begin with and capital markets. And I moved into more accounting policy and trade advisory with investment banks. So I had some financial you know, background there as well. And then I moved to work for the International Accounting Standards Board, which writes International Financial Reporting Standards. So those are global accounting standards that are that are used by many countries in the world. And I worked in their financial instruments team, and that's where I really started interacting with investors and the CFA Institute, actually, and understanding more about investor reporting needs. Uh, then I moved to head their investor engagement team, which is where I did a lot of work for several years with the buy side and sell side, understanding their reporting needs and more on the financial statements again, but some corporate reporting needs. And I, I founded the Investors in Financial Reporting Program there, which helped increase interaction with investors and their um, understanding what they need for financial statement reporting and trying to get more involvement on the buy side. And that's also where I heard more about sustainability needs of investors, if you will, and the information that's not necessarily in the financial statements or wasn't in the financial statements today. I remember... Ann Simpson actually discussing the need for better understanding about water, water issues in companies in California. And, you know, this wasn't in financial reporting. So anyway, I had an interest in the environment and climate change, and I decided to go back to school and get a master's in environmental policy and regulation. So I had I left the ISBA, went back to school, and then I started doing more work in this space. So I joined Carbon Tracker a year and a half ago and use my background with working with investors and as an auditor to start looking at financial statements, climate-related risks in financial reporting. Cool. And tell us, tell our listeners, I probably know enough to be dangerous, but tell our <laughs> listeners a little bit more about Carbon Tracker and what, what they do. Sure. So Carbon Tracker is an independent financial think tank. We're based in London. We also have offices in the U.S., 
We are made up mainly of financial market, energy, and legal experts. And what we do is we carry out in-depth analyses of the impact of the energy transition on capital markets and the risks of, of continued investment in uh, fossil fuel. And so our role is to help markets understand and quantify these risks. And we focus primarily on the energy industry. So we look at um, power and utilities and oil and gas companies and the risks of continued investment in, you know, like I said, fossil and fuel intensive infrastructure. I also, um, in our work, we look at other industries across the globe. So we don't just focus in the energy industry. And we also have a team that looks at clean energy. We do, we do research on energy transition and we have two sister trackers. One's called Planet Tracker and one's called Industry Tracker, which was uh, formed last year. And we also collaborate. We do more collaboration or we're doing more collaboration with these trackers. Yeah. Yeah, I read, uh, I think it came out in September, but the reason I bothered Barbara was uh, <laughs> that I read the Flying Blind report. It's called Flying Blind, the glaring absence of climate risks in financial reporting. And it was done uh, Carbon Tracker in conjunction with PRI. And I thought it was a great kind of primer for people who want to jump more into this into this area of okay, what is what's the accounting behind in the financial and what is the current state of accounting and financials around climate? Because we all hear this was you know a month at the time a month or two before COP twenty six, everyone was ramping up and hearing all all these net zero by twenty fifty promises on what they mean and they don't mean, and we've talked about that in other podcasts, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the future. <laughs> We can talk that about that a little bit here, but I thought it was a great resource for people to better understand what's the current state of play in you know accounting around climate and financials, and a lot of what we found you found wasn't pretty. No, but I wanted I wanted folks to get a better understanding of that because there's just there's so much noise out there about what is and isn't happening, and I thought this was a great resource. So I'm going to ask you to kind of walk us through. Again, I, I recommend people reading it. We're not going to spend we're not going to spend three hours reading it, but just the highlights of what you think people should take away, and to give them wet their whistle so they will want to read the whole report. Okay, well, thanks for asking. This is my baby, since uh, that's pretty much what I worked on since I've been at Carbon Tracker. Yeah, I um, I guess you have some background first to the report, sure. and then go into the report. And if you want to stop me at any time because I like talking about it, that's fine. That's what that's that, that that's why you're here. <laughs> so some background to this account. So accounting standards don't reference consideration of climate related risks. Right. Accounting and audit standards. So there's been uncertainty in the past as to whether the climate climate fits into accounting auditing standards. You know how should this be considered? Should it be considered in accounting requirements and audit requirements? And Investors have become more concerned about these issues and not understand the impacts on companies. Stakeholders haven't been sure how to deal with it. So in response to these concerns in 2019 and 2020, the International Accounting Standards Board, so that's the one that writes IFRS standards, mm -hmm. published some guidance saying, look, if there's material climate-related matters or, or risks, then the company needs to consider these and the impacts on financial statements. Right. So they clarified that in um, 2021, the FASB, so that's the Financial Accounting Standards Board that writes U.S. GAAP, came out with similar guidance, basically discussing the intersection of U.S. GAAP requirements and ESG issues. And so these accounting standard setters effectively said, look, climate change and the ener energy transition 
needs to be considered if it's material to financial statements, to company financial statements. And then from the audit side, before I joined Carbon Tracker, we did a lot of where I was working before I was doing some work for the PRI. We talked to auditors and the audit International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board about these concerns. And the IAASB, so that's the International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board, lots of acronyms, came out with mm-hmm. what they call a, a staff practice alert. So basically, they came out with some guidance, also reminding auditors that if there are material climate-related risks, you need to consider these when you're auditing companies. And these are subject to, um, these are audits under international standards on auditing. So anyway, right. this applies to audits outside the financial statements, but for all intents and purposes, audit requirements in the financial statements, they're they're the same. Right. So basically, we said, okay, fine, climate change is material. Auditors should be considering this, and they need to show evidence of consideration so investors can understand this. But as part of this, then, off the back of all these clarifications, investors then published an open letter, investors representing over $100 trillion in assets under management, published an open letter in, in 2020 saying, look, this information is important for us. We need to make sure that management and their auditors consider these issues in their financial statements and audits today. And this has been clarified by the accounting and the audit require, uh, standard center. So we expect management and auditors to do this. So investors representing significant assets under management came out and, and expressed their need for this information. And we know that it's required. And so we did this report to start analyzing the effects on financial statements off the back of this information. And so when we looked at this, I want to stress the difference between the front end, what we call front end and back end. The front end of annual reports or what we might call sustainability or climate reports are is information that is outside of the financial statements, right. outside of the audit information. So that would be also like management commentary or management discussion and analysis or risk factors. Mm-hmm like in the front right. of a 10K. Yeah. And that could also be like the task force and climate-related financial disclosures, TCFD disclosures. All this is outside of the financial statements, and there has already been progress on better, you know, requiring this information and, and making it, providing better information about climate-related issues in the front end, if you will. But in the financial statements or the back end, we haven't seen this. And that was why you know, the auditors... The audit standard setter came out with clarifications. The accounting standard setters came out with clarifications. The investors came out with this letter. So we're focusing on the back end financial statements. And every time we talk about ESG and sustainability, the conversations don't include the financial statements. So I just want to make it really clear we're talking about the financial statements. The reason that financial statements are important is because a lot of the numbers in the financial statements are based on estimates and assumptions about the future. And so that's why these climate-related issues can affect financial statements today. So if you think about like estimates of future cash flows that could be used to assess asset impairments or the the values of assets, those could be affected by policies or regulations to require emissions reductions or um, changes in demand or disruptive technologies. So those could affect the cash flows, right? Future cash flows a company expects to achieve. That could also affect the lives of assets. That could affect valuations of inventory. It could affect obligations to decommission assets and the timing. It could affect credit losses uh, if you're lending to companies that are operating in in carbon-intensive industries. And so that's why the financial statements can be affected. So all this is the background to the report that we did. Yeah. 
Yeah. So coming back to the report, or did you want to ask me any questions about that? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I was going to have a brief comment to give you a chance to, to have a sip of water, which, which you're doing. People can't see that in the podcast, but it, it, but it is happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that is a great way to frame it because I, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, you know, have gone through, you know, I've been looking at sustainability reports, CSR reports, call them what you, what you want, for 20 years or so. Yep. And that's a much different animal than what we're talking about with accounting and somewhat, you know, we, we had a joke. I, I used to work at GMI, Governance Metrics International, which was bought up by MCI. And we read too many proxies and too many of these reports. <laughs> and we would joke, you know, the shinier the report and the, the more pictures of little children holding flowers in the report. <laughs> the less like animals useful the, and lambs, yeah. Right. The less, you know, the less useful the report was. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, in some cases, I think, you know, of course, they've gotten a lot better. But that's also a marketing for how green a company is as well. Yes. So back before there, back before there was a term greenwashing, there was greenwashing going on, yes. and that's been. But a lot of those are good and do have good information. I want to. I don't want to paint a broad brush, and they have gotten better. But there really wasn't any discussion way back then, and it's taken a long time to get to how do we put this in the numbers and the balance sheet and the income statement. Right. Where accountants, I'm not an accountant, uh, but I, I had to have a rudimentary understanding of accounting to get my CFA. But but you guys you guys being accountants, you know, that's where the rubber is going to hit the road with climate is okay, how are we going to measure this? How are we going to talk about the, how this asset as you said, this asset's impaired because of these assumptions and so on. Right. And so I think that's a good that's a great setup for for jumping into what you guys found. You know, give us kind of the high level of what you guys found and, and feel free to you know discuss as in detail as you wish. We've, we've got, <laughs> you might be we, sorry you said that. We've got we've got time. <laughs> I, I so yes, I will. thank you for for saying that. I mean, there is um, definitely an effect on the financial statements, and and without, well, let me talk about the results. So we looked at the a population of 107 companies when we did this work, and it was mostly 2020 financial statements. So. Years ended. And, and these are global companies. Global companies. So they're global companies. They operate um, across most of the companies that we looked at operate in the EU, the UK, and the US, but they also operated in other areas. Right. Most right. of them operated in industries such as um, the energy industry, transportation, or industrials. Mm -hmm. But there was also some other sectors, but these were carbon intensive sectors. And right, right. what's important about these the population of companies that we looked at is that most of these companies are also part of this Climate Action 100 plus group of focus companies. So the Climate Action 100 plus group, the focus companies, which is a a larger group of companies. Those right. companies are responsible for over 80% of industrial greenhouse gas emissions. Right. So the companies that we looked at are part of a group of companies that are responsible that are responsible for most industrial greenhouse gas emissions. So automatically, like we started with an assumption that the population we were looking at um, was materially exposed to climate risks. So we had an, we had a population that we expected to see some consideration of climate risks in the financial statements. I mean, we were looking at companies such as Chevron, Exxon, BP, BMW, Volkswagen, Rio Tinto, Airlines, Air France, American Airlines. So there was these are these are companies we know will be affected by the energy transition, right? Right. So we looked at whether they well provided evidence disclosures in the notes to the financial statements as to whether they considered the impacts, the financial impacts of the energy transition or, or climate change. If they didn't, did they explain why? 
we looked at if they provided assumptions and estimates that were quantitative assumptions and estimates that we could use to assess the extent to which they thought about climate change. And we looked at whether auditors considered these issues in their audits. So the results were really disappointing. Considering that all of the background I gave you and that the population of companies were carbon intensive companies, right. 72% of the companies provided no evidence that they considered climate related risks in their financial statements. Right. So that means that investors had no way of gauging uh, the extent of their own risks. So if, if investors need to gauge these risks for stewardship of their, you know, their portfolios of assets to meet their own net zero targets or mission, or whatever the investors' targets are, as well as gauging and the extent to which their capital and the company's capital is tied up in these assets or other investments that are that will not be used in the face of the energy transition, there's, there was no way for investors to gauge this without knowing what the companies did. So for example, if the companies were subject to emission reduction policies or regulations, we, or disruptive technologies again, like electric vehicles or renewable energy sources, we had no, or even if they had their own emissions targets, we had no indication as to whether they considered these when they were testing these assets for impairment, right. You know, when they were looking at the useful lives of these assets, whether they were looking at uh, if they would have to accelerate decommissioning obligations, would they have the cash flows to do this? Uh, we, we didn't know, right? If they had to shorten asset lives, depreciation could inc- increase, profits would be reduced. We looked to see, like I said, as to whether or not there were assumptions and estimates that would be affected by climate, whether these companies disclosed these as part of the accounting requirements. Only 25% of these companies disclosed the quantitative climate-related assumptions and estimates that they used. So again, this investors have no way of understanding a company's resilience or lack thereof to the energy transition or climate risk without this information. Investors can't make their own adjustments because they don't know what the company has used. So what do we we looked for things like oil and gas prices that were used, if carbon dioxide prices were used, costs to abate, right. remaining useful lives changes in production estimates or demand estimates. And t- only 25% of these companies disclose this. I think and that's actually, it was, like I said, very disappointing. The other thing I wanted to mention too is that there were significant differences between information that we saw in U.S. financial statements and non-U.S. financial statements. Mm-hmm. I'd say almost none of the U.S. financial statements or, or companies that are U.S. companies provided any information, even though the accounting requirements for all intents and purposes, are not that different. So the the disclosures in the U.S. companies were very poor. There's a materiality threshold in the, in the United States, but it wasn't considered material because it wasn't included. Is that safe to say? That's that's what we would assume. I mean, there's a material materiality threshold under IFRS as well. Right. And so, but we're talking about big oil and gas majors. Yeah, yeah. Even if they don't think they would be materially impacted by these issues, they're certainly exposed to the energy transition. Yeah. So, and there was no indication that they considered these issues. And they did have sustainability reports that talked a lot about climate change and the energy transition, which actually gets into my next assessment where we looked at consistency across a company's climate story. So we also looked to see if companies were telling the same story outside the financial statements, like I've talked about before, in their sustainability reports or in the front of their 10K. And right. their financial statements. And we found 72% of companies that we looked at, again, appeared to have an inconsistent climate story. So, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that I come from. I came into the ESG world from a corporate governance background. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, reading in, reading more proxy statements than anyone should ever have to in their life. And one of the things, <laughs> one of the, one of the things we always looked for, and it was mostly in a compensation framework, but it, the, the principle is the same, is, is the discussion the same in a nice shiny report and is it the same in the, in this case, you know, do they talk about in compensation, do they talk about compensation the same? Right. Um, I'm butchering this, but what I'm trying to get to is, is the strategy, is the strategy aligned with the compensation metrics? That's what we would look for. If they're saying our strategy is this, and these are our goals. If that's wildly divergent from compensation structures and what people are incentivized for, we do what we're incentivized to do. Right. If the incentives don't match the strategy, there's a big problem. That's right. And so it gets to the same principle of is is the CSR report, sustainability reports, a nice, fluffy, shiny marketing piece, or is there really something there that when you get into the financial statement, those match? They're talking about the same thing, you know? And you can really, I, you know, I would, you know, point investors to, you know, on those, you know, for compensation, for climate or other areas, but check for consistency in the message because you can see a lot about is the strategy really permeating the company? That's right. Is it, or is, is something just farmed off to some PR agency to produce this piece or, or the IR team produces this piece? And you can understand a lot about whether it's in the culture of that company, if those messages are consistent or not. That's right. I, I, we do actually, we did a report called Groundhog Pay, which looked at <laughs> um, the remuneration of executives. At, I think it was oil and gas companies, if I'm not mistaken. It was another team at Carbon Tracker. Yeah. And actually, that's what, another reason why accounting is important, because if you're not including the effects of climate related risks in the financial statements and executives are paid off of, say, you know, profits, right. then they're going to be paid off inflated profits. And so absolutely, that's, that is an important issue is remuneration, executive remuneration. And we saw, we started looking at that in this project, but we didn't report on it. But we did see some metrics related to climate um, targets, but there weren't mm -hmm. very, there weren't often very clear uh, as to how these were reflected or, or the extent to which the executives were penalized if they weren't achieving the targets. Mm -hmm. But what we looked at when we looked at this consistency was we looked at, so if a, if a company had emission reduction targets, say interim targets for the next 10 years, but they looked like they were continuing to use assets for the next carbon intensive assets for the next 20, 30, 40 years, how were they expecting to achieve their emission reduction targets with these assets? Because there was no indication of any other way of achieving the targets, costs of emissions reduction or you know, allowances or there, there was a, there was an in, often an inconsistency there, and it wasn't clear if this was because. Does it mean that the company is ignoring the effects of climate change? Does it mean that they don't understand the effects? Is there poor governance over climate-related issues? Like you mentioned, you know, there could be completely different business area looking at the sustainability report and not integrating it into the risks and internal control system, which is a, which is a problem right. for the company. So. Yes, we found there was no what we call through line from the, the sustainability or climate risk discussions into the financial statements, which 
gives investors no idea if the outside reporting is greenwashing right. and how the company's planning and investment decisions are feeding into the assumptions they made in the financial statements. Right. We actually found one company, I won't name them, but there was an oil and gas company that talked about they were going to de- decrease, significantly decrease production. Um, and they gave a number to f- be fair to them outside the financials. And then when we looked at the impairment testing in the financials, they actually used a higher production number, which means that they would have less impairment. And right. I mean, to be fair, they disclosed this, but we saw that there is it was a it was a significant inconsistency, and we did not know if there was a material impact on the financial statements. Which is the other problem if you see inconsistencies: is there a mister- is that does that mean there's a material misstatement in the financial statements? Well, that brings me to, I want to get to, you know, the, the, some of the conclusions you guys make uh, in the report and the uh, recommendation. And I don't want to, I don't want to rush you through the report. Is there anything else that we didn't hit? Well, let me, let me mention a couple of the things if that's okay with no, you. No, that's fine. That's fine. No, no. Your, your pause made me think that, oh, we're going to go to the conclusions. And then your laugh made me think, oh no, I made a mistake. That's oh fine. no, I can talk about this report for another hour, but I'm sure our listeners, uh, your listeners may not want to hear that, but by all means, go ahead. I go did ahead. want to just mention a few other things. Um, the audit reports were another uh, item that I wanted to mention because we looked at audit reports yes. to yes. see if there was cons- evidence of consideration of the effects of climate in the audits of these financial statements as well. And when we, what we did to do that was to look at what we call key or critical audit matters that auditors uh, provide in their audit reports, which are across both jurisdictions. And basically, they will identify items that are subject to significant judgment or estimates for the audit or for management, and so could be also subject uh, subject to the risk of material misstatement. And so mm-hmm. the nature of climate change and transition risks and materiality of these issues to companies and investors means that we would expect these also to be subject to these you know, CAM requirements or at least included as an issue as um, the items that are being tested by the auditor. So mm-hmm. for example, let me say that eight, first, let me say 80% of the auditors that we looked at or the audit reports that we looked at provided no evidence of consideration of the effects of climate on these companies. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're looking at carbon intensive companies, right? 80% of the auditors didn't say anything. So we don't know if they did consider climate. And an example of um, a key or critical audit matter that we think would be materially affected by climate is impairment. I brought up impairment a few times now. 77% of the audit reports include impairment testing as a, as a critical audit matter or a key audit matter. And so that's because impairments are used, they use long-term estimates of cash flows, you know, as part of the testing of these assets. So they could be significantly affected by the energy transition. But only 25% of the auditors that mention impairments mention anything about the energy transition or climate change and testing that. And none of the U.S. audit reports for U.S. companies mentioned assessment, even though they did talk about impairment risk. Right. The only other thing I want to mention there is that companies, there are companies that are dual listed, right, in their local markets and in the U.S. markets. And when they are, they will have often have two audit reports. Hmm. One will be under the U.S. auditing standards. One will be under their local IS international standards on auditing. So, but we saw that for some of the audit reports that referenced climate-related issues in the local markets, the auditors took out any reference to climate-related issues in the U.S. audit reports. This is the same auditor, the same company, the same financial statements, same same lead partner. Yeah, yeah. 
And we see, saw no reason that they, there was no reason under the uh, standards in the U.S., auditing standards in the U.S., they would have to remove these references. Huh. But effectively, that means that investors in the U.S. are getting less information invest in those markets. And that is that was a concerning difference that we found when we were looking at these audit reports. Yeah. I think that, that's pretty much the, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up in these. And so I'm happy to talk about the conclusions to this report, although... Well, we're, we're, we're making people read the report. Yes, so. please read the report. <laughs> no, but, but you know, in, in every time you present a problem, you know, I, I was always taught, you know, if you can, you know, present a solution. Don't just, don't just complain. If you, right. if, complaining's fun. But, but, <laughs> but, uh, but the conclusions talk about, you know, what companies can do. You know, you just mentioned it, you know, responsibilities of auditors, what auditors should be, could be doing, what policymakers could be doing. Yes. And, you know, and how investors can and should use this information. So, you know, those are the things I was going to focus on. Yes. Well, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. I mean, it, it, companies need to improve their disclosures over these issues. They also need to make sure they improve governance. So they need to make sure the audit committees that are overseeing the audits and the financial statements are tying all this information together. They need to indicate if they don't think these matters are material to them and they're in carbon intensive industries, they have to in explain to investors why. Right. I mean, there there is judgment involved in financial statements and there are, but there's also the management has leeway to include this information in their, in their financial statements. And Investors are asking for a sensitivity to Paris aligned, what we call Paris aligned assumptions and estimates, which they aren't required to do today right. necessarily, unless management thinks that the Paris aligned assumptions are going to be achieved. But if investors need this in its material and it will help investors understand companies' resilience or lack thereof, you know, this is information that investors are asking companies to, to provide. Um, and it would be quite helpful for companies to provide this. Auditors need to increase their visibility of consideration of these, whether they've considered these issues. And they also need to um, encourage management and challenge the disclosures that management is, is providing. Break it, look, investors need to explain and they need to engage with companies on these issues as well and explain to their, their investees what they need and why they, they need it, because that way it'll make engagement more effective. And also investors can be more effectively vote on these issues. And regulators, we've been talking to regulators about the securities, financial regulators about these issues, and they are increasing. They seem to be starting to increase oversight of these issues and including these in their enforcement priorities. But that is also another thing that needs to be taken away from this report. Okay. We're going to talk about, I think that, you know, the, the, the last thing we're going to talk about is, you know, what's going on with the ISSB and the SEC and, and what's going on in Europe. And we'll talk more about what are standards going to be? Should they be? What are policymakers doing? You know, is that enough? All those kind of things. But I want to talk a little bit about you know, something that we talked a little bit about when we're deciding to do this podcast and some of the work you guys are doing now with uh, CA 100 plus, you mentioned them before, uh, uh, and the net zero company benchmark uh, that you guys are doing uh, and the work that's, that's kind of in flight right now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, what that is and, and why uh, listeners should, should, uh, should stay tuned to what sure. you guys are doing. Sure. So CA 100 plus, Climate Action 100 Plus or CA 100 Plus, I don't know if your listeners are not, if they're not familiar with it, this is an investor initiative that has mm -hmm. over 600 global investors involved that are responsible for about 65 trillion in assets under management. And these investors are working together to 
ensure that the significant global greenhouse gas emitters, the GHG emitters, act right on climate change. So they have three goals. The CA100 Plus has three goals. They want to reduce emissions, improve governance over these issues, and improve disclosure over these issues. And that's disclosure across company reporting, not just financial reporting. And as I mentioned before, they've identified 167 focus companies right now. Right. So those companies represent over 80% of greenhouse gas industrial emissions, or they will contribute to the energy transition. So they may not be directly emitters, but you know that's where that's where the hundred plus comes from. That's right. The hundred. It, <laughs> exactly. It started. It started out. Was it exactly? I think it was a little over a hundred, but they've added added to it. You know, and like you said, these are this covers about eighty percent of right. you know the large you know the bigger biggest emitters out there. So it's going after the big fish, so to speak, as far as disclosure to get better disclosure. That's right. But just to yeah, just to frame it for people, a lot of people probably do know what CA 100 plus is, but just to just to better break it down for them. But so go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I mean, you know, investors are worried about climate change, but they also want to understand their capital at risk. So this is this is right. this is why they're talking to these companies. So the companies are located throughout the world, as you I think you had mentioned, and they're working across sectors, but they're mostly in energy, transportation, and industrial sectors. Like because, like I said before, the companies we looked at for our report are also part of this group of companies. So, and, and in, investors, as a result of the work that this CA100 Plus is doing, they'll engage with companies and they'll also, they'll vote. So last year, in March, 2021, the CA100 launched what they call this net zero company benchmark. The company mm-hmm. benchmark assesses the performance of companies, their 167 companies, um, against their three goals that they have. And, in, um, and so Carbon Tracker has already started, has already contributed to that benchmark in the past, and that I think our con- contribution includes CapEx indicators. In right. 2021, as a result of the work we are doing on Flying Blind, and I think the CA100 had already foreseen this, we wrote, uh, along with some of the CA100 partners, we wrote a, um, a new benchmark indicator called Climate Accounting and Audit Alignment Assessment. So it's like the C A A A something like this. Ka. It's very, it's very. No, don't go. Don't give attractive. people more ac- ac- more acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say about C four A. I haven't decided the best way of yeah. what to call this thing. But anyway, so this um, this is a way of assessing these companies. It's similar to flying blind assessment of the companies and the auditor's consideration of climate related issues in the financial statements. Again, and there's also an assessment of whether they are achieving or using assumptions and estimates that align with or would achieve net zero by 2050 and no more than 1.5 degrees warming. So what we've done is it's split up into three indicator sub indicators. The first right. is looking at financial statements under the current accounting requirements. The second is looking at uh, the audit reports under the current audit requirements. And the third looks at this net zero by 2050 um, and no more than 1.5 degree warming kind of assessment, which is not, as I said, required today, but it's still information investors want. So mm-hmm. we we just completed the first round of assessments on the 167 companies for the first version of this, this assessment, which will be published later this month, March and um, those are actually for still for the 2020 financial statements because 2021, most of those are not yet out. Right. But we will update the assessment of those later this year, probably around September for 2021 financial reporting. So we, yeah, so that is coming out and 
I encourage people to look at the indicators. I don't want to give any spoiler alerts on the... <laughs> I, w- I will say a couple of quick things. The assessments that we did for the indicator, for the CA100 plus indicator, were binary score. It used a binary scoring system. So actually, we had a stricter scoring system mm. than, than we did for flying blind. Is this information there or is it not kind of thing? Yes. And because Flying Blind had a four-tiered scoring system, if some of the information was there, they could get a partial, they could get some of a score. Whereas if some of it was there, they didn't get, there was no real. For for the net zero component of that, is is it measuring, is it grading them, if you so to speak, on the pathway they talk about? Or is it just an empty, potentially an empty promise? Like, hey, we made a 2050 promise, but there's no information on it, you know, because I'm, I'm a CEO and I'll be gone by then. So I don't care. I'll just, I'll just make the, I'll just make the promise. So the, there's a net zero piece of the benchmark, which is outside of what we're doing. So it's, it gets yeah. confusing. No, I know that. I know that. Okay. I apologize You're talking about the financial statement piece. No, no. I'm talking about the net zero piece. I apologize if you haven't seen it or, or, oh, no. or aren't as, as familiar with it, but I'm just curious because just that's, you know, coming out of, and we've talked about this in the past podcast, just, and it's in, on people's mind because of the 2050 promises that were made in, in COP26. But there, you know, if you, if you look at the, if you do the math behind, you know, companies that have disclosed a actual pathway, you know, or, or interim steps to get to 2050, that seems, that's very low. And I'm curious how f- you know, is that part, is that pathway graded in, in this as well? And how, and if so, how so? So the pathway, like you, it's graded in the net zero benchmark outside of the financial statements, but it's not graded in the financial statements. We did not grade the pathway. So if they didn't use. No, that's what I, yeah, that's, that's what I would expect. I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I was asking about the, the yeah. net zero por- portion of it. Yep. Yeah. We didn't yeah. grade okay. the pathway. We also didn't assess the quality of the transition plan, if you will. We just looked at disclosure. And when we graded the net zero piece of this, we looked to see what we used was the IA's net zero by 2050 scenario. So the NZE or NZE, as they say here, 2050 scenario. So that's very specific. It has very specific commodity prices, very specific pathways. So we use that. We only use one pathway for the financial statement. So we were, if you will, relatively strict with assessing that to be very clear as to what was what we, what we wanted to see. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, in uh in uh when we talk when we tell people you know what to what what homework to do, what to read, that's something to keep keep their eyes out for. We're recording this at the beginning of March 2022 and that'll be out later this month. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, before we let you go, you know, we t- I warned you that uh we wanted I wanted to touch on well, you know, if someone listening to this podcast, you will, will probably understand, you know, get the idea that that we think that there's a lot more to be done around, <laughs> you know, financial reporting on climate, uh, obviously. But folks like the uh, Internet or International Sustainability Standards Board, the SEC here in the states where I am, uh, the European Commission's done a lot of work on this. There's a lot in movement around disclosures around climate and ESG issues, uh, but you know I think the ISSB is looking at climate first and foremost. You know what are your thoughts on where those where those efforts are? What do you expect to come out of them? Uh, uh, do you think it's going to be sufficient in, in the short term, medium term? Uh, just your 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 thoughts on those things. 
So first, just to remind the listeners that when we're looking at the reporting, we're looking at the financial statements, the things that are coming out of the European Commission, the SEC probably, uh, and the I, what we call the IWSB, International, International Sustainability Standards Board, is looking at outside the financial statements. Having said that, if I could talk to the your question on the Interna- International Sustainability Standards Board, I think it is a great uh, thing that it was formed. I think it will address the need for a global set of sustainability standards and the fact that it's leveraging work that was done by the other standard setters and kind of absorbing those standard setters, most of them anyway, into the its own organization is 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 great. It will it means they don't have to recreate the wheel. There's a lot of knowledge there. It's going to provide investors which with more consistent, comparable information at a lower cost of capital. Um, hopefully at a you know relatively quickly because they have all the knowledge there. They've already put out a draft protocol even Around the time that they announced it, they put out a draft protocol. They're already forming the, you know, the board. They're they're already looking for the board members. They're already writing the standards. I think the formation of this underneath in the umbrella of the IFRS Foundation is is really important, because the IFRS Foundation, which oversees the International Accounting Standards Board, has a really strong due process, has a strong track record with due process, with engagement with stakeholders has a strong governance process. It has uh, an endorsement process already globally or almost globally. So that could be used perhaps for these sustainability standards. Perhaps they could use a, have some kind of joint work program between the IASB, so that's the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and the Sustainability Board because they're sisters boards. So if they had some kind of joint work program or they collaborated, they could ensure connectivity or consistency between the sustainability reporting and the financial statements. So that's all that uh, knowledge that's in one place is really important. And the vice chair of the Sustainability Standards Board, Sue Lloyd, she was the vice chair of the IASB. So you're, they're bringing a lot of this knowledge over. So I think it's, I, I expect great things out of the board. And I think it's, if they can get that connectivity back to the financial statements in some way, you know, by collaboration with the IASB, it will be, it will help investors quite a bit. All right. Well, we've I, I've I've kept you quite a long time. I think we've probably been talking about. 40 I think I've minutes, kept you. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's 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 early morning here. I've got the whole day ahead of me. But before we let people go, before we let you go, uh, we always give folks uh, hopefully a little homework. We already have them hopefully reading the Flying Blind Report if they haven't done so already. That's right. And anticipating you know the work that's coming up. And you know we're just talking about the SSC and IASSB. You know, the SEC is likely to come out with their provisional recommendation standard, whatever it ends up being soon. We don't know, but uh, we're we're anticipating in the next month or so. uh, Again, it's March 2022. The ISSB is on a similar trajectory. They're expected to have something out this year that I think the first half of the year, I I could be wrong with that, that that investors can can look at. Uh, And I encourage, you know, folks listening to look at both of those and, and- and offer comments because that's how one of the one of the ways we as investors uh, you know get our voices heard. And uh, I've talked to folks from the SEC uh, about this. They do read those. They say they say that grudgingly sometimes. Like yes, we have to read those. We do read those. So uh, so if if you're so inclined, by all means, you know weigh in on those things. But what are some things you think folks should be reading or listening to or to educate themselves more? on accounting around climates and ESG type of issues? 
Actually, and if I could, um, sorry, you reminded me of something. If I could add to what you just said before I answer sure. your question, sure. of course. Sure, sure. And the SEC, we have talked to the SEC about the financial statement issues as well. So hopefully they will respond to that. But I would encourage investors to interact with the SEC on that. And the PCAOB, which is the Public Accounting, yep. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, which oversees the accounting, sorry, the audit standards in the U.S. They have a newly formed board. They are also interested in hearing from investors on these issues, and particularly if there are concerns around the audit standards or auditors not providing information that investors need, please write to the PCAOB because I know they want to hear from investors. That's great. That's a great point. So with respect to reading, and I haven't had a chance to read many new things this past year, unfortunately, so I'm going to recommend something that I read a long time ago that but has stayed with me in this space. And it is kind of side, it's not necessarily about accounting. Accounting, please read Flying Blind. But Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything book that I read a while ago, I, I, I would recommend, I thought it was quite good. It's This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate. Mm-hmm. I would recommend that. And I would also recommend another good source of information is the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance, which I subscribe to. That's like an email yeah. um, alert. And they have very good research on these issues and different articles about corporate governance, but also climate-related reporting issues. Those would be my two suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great blog that I, I look at quite a bit uh, yes. as well. All right. Well, I will let you go for the rest of your day. Thanks so much for talking to us, Barbara. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 